please take your Bibles tonight. Let's go over to Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22. I don't know how many of you have been working through the Bible reading schedule that we posted at the beginning of the year, but it has been very, very enlightening to try to slowly and carefully read through God's Word. For instance, if I were to ask you this question tonight, who was the king of Israel after Saul? Who was the king of Israel after Saul? If your answer is David, I would encourage you to go back and read your Bible more carefully. And you say, I'm, I'm just positive it's got to be David. Um, we'll, if you like, we could talk about it afterward. And I've, I've posed this question in a couple of other settings. But in fact, it's not David. And that's a really, that's a really astounding part about what you read in the Word of God. So this particular passage, Joshua chapter 22, I was just startled and stunned as I read through it and wanted to share just a little bit of the blessing tonight as you work through this. Let's go right into the text and look at verses 11 and 12 and then come back and explain a little bit more about the context. Joshua 22, verses 11 and 12. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben, children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. Verse 12, And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the, whole, of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. May we pause together for a word of prayer. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for the opportunity tonight to open your word and to rejoice in the truth that you give us. Help us, we pray, to take passages like this and make them practical in our own lives, learning the practical lessons that we need to concentrate on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On several Wednesday evenings, we have been working through the journals, the joy of journaling, and most recently, we've been looking at principles of communication. And so as I was working through Joshua chapter 22, I realized, here it is, this is the very same thing, it's principles of communication. So let's just pause for a minute and see if we can get the context right. When Moses and the children of Israel were preparing to cross over the Jordan River, there were two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, who said, hey, wait a minute, we really like the uh, land that we see here on the eastern side of the Jordan. So if I could sort of lay it out for you today, here's the Jordan River going up to the Sea of Galilee. They said, we really like this land over on this side, on the, on the eastern side, the modern-day Jordan today. And Moses at first was very angry with him and said, hold it. I mean, wait a minute. You, we're, we're all supposed to go into the promised land. And, and how dare you? You're, you're backing away from your brothers who are going into the land. And the men said, well, um, could we make an appeal? Could we have land, this land that we see as a good land on the other side? But how about we do this? How about we send our soldiers in to the promised land and we'll send them in and help you conquer the promised land. And then after you say it's, we're done, we'll, the soldiers will return back over to the eastern side of the Jordan. 
Moses prayed about it, thought about it, said, okay, that's a good idea. And that's exactly what they did. And they went into the land and they helped the people to conquer the land. And then you come to Joshua chapter 22. And if you look there at the beginning, it says, Joshua called the Reubenites, Gadites, half the tribe of Manasseh, and said unto them, you have kept all that Moses, that, that the Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice. You have not left your brother in these many days until this day. Verse 4, now the Lord your God has given you rest unto your brethren as he promised them. And so he said, so get into your tents, land of possession. By the way, he said, take uh, spoil with you and enrich your tents. And so verse 6, so Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went unto their tents. And this is exactly where the problem started that almost became, we could call it the civil war that almost was. Because look what happened next in verse 7. It says, now the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan, but unto the other half he gave unto Joshua among their brethren on this side, that is the western side of the Jordan. Okay, so it makes sense. Manasseh, half the tribe of Manasseh, was on one side of the Jordan, and the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, they were on the other side of the Jordan. And there they decided to do something as they crossed back over the Jordan River. Now remember, when they come across the Jordan River the first time, Joshua had actually commanded them to take something up from the river and use it as a testimony and as a witness when they got across the Jordan River. What did he ask them to take across? What were they? Twelve stones. And they were probably smoothed right by the river, so they would have been unusual in shape. And the design was for children to then later ask, hey, what, what's that all about? And they would tell them, hey, we, we crossed the Jordan on dry land. Apparently what happened here was that the tribe of Reuben and uh, Gad, Gad and half tribe of Manasseh said, you know, that's a really, really good idea to basically have like a, like a stone of witness or a reminder to everybody. So look what they did down in verse 7. It says, I'm sorry, verse 8. And he spoke unto them saying, return, I'm sorry, verse 8, he said, return with much riches. And so they went back to the land. And the problem begins in verse 10 when they, they came to the Jordan. When they came into the borders of the Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and, the, and, and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see. Some translations have that as a, a very imposing altar. And that's when the trouble started. Because in verse 11, it says, the children of Israel heard say. Let that kind of sink in for just a moment. They heard someone say it. Question, who had said it? Nobody knew. It's certainly not recorded in the scripture who said it first. But they built this rather imposing altar right there on the Jordan River, right there on the side that was we call the promised land, right there by Manasseh, and decided that's what we're going to do. And there was almost a civil war over their doing that. You say, why on earth? What in the world is happening here? Well, go down, if you will, to verse 16 and notice here that after everybody is saying this, again, verse 11, they say, people are saying, uh, think about today, you know, 
you hear this all the time. Well, people are saying, well, I've heard it said that. Well, you know, it, common sense says the first thing to ask is, well, who said that? And, and in what context did they say that? But the end result here is they almost went to war. There was almost a civil war over this. Verse 16, they decided and said, well, let's let cooler heads prevail here. So they sent a delegation over there to talk to them to say, uh, we see what you're doing here, and we are prepared to go to war with you. And you can imagine the shock of those of the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh saying, wait, what, what is happening here? And if you step back from this story and read it carefully, you realize it's really a powerful chapter about good communication. Good communication to try to convey what it is that you were trying to do. So let's raise a few questions about this. Could both of these groups be God-honoring? Is it that one group is God-honoring and the other is, in fact, rebellious? If they're both God-honoring, then why is there this conflict? So as I say, cooler heads prevail down in verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, this delegation says to these this two and a half tribes, the whole group, the whole congregation of the Lord is saying this. And here's what they were saying. What trespass is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that you have built an altar that you might rebel against this day against the Lord? As the is this is the iniquity of Peor too little for us? Just a note there in passing. The chief speaker was Phineas. Phineas was the one who ended the plague at Peor with a spear, according to Numbers chapter 25 and verse 7. It's kind of significant that that shows up, that he had been involved in that, and he wants to bring that out here. Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us from which we are not cleansed until this day? although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord, and it will be seeing that you rebel today against the Lord, and that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass over to this land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwells, and take possession of it. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us, in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God." Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass and the accursed thing, and wrath fell on the congregation of Israel, and that man perished not alone in his iniquity? So here's one group saying to the other group, we know why you built that altar. You built that altar because you are rebelling against the Lord, and this is a trespass, and this is an iniquity, and we are here zealous for the Lord saying, this is what you have done, and we're going to confront you over it. What was the problem? Well, read what Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh actually said. This is down in verse 21. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, The Lord, God of gods, the Lord, God of gods, he knows, and, and Israel he shall know. If it be in rebellion or in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day, 
that you have built us an altar to turn away from following the Lord or to offer burnt offering or meat offering or to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. And if not, rather done for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? That the Lord has made a Jordan, uh, the border, Jordan a border between us, your children of Reuben and the children of Gad, and you have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. That's pretty remarkable. Here's two and a half tribes of the children of Israel. And what they're saying is, you know, since there is a border between us, the natural border of Jordan, then there's a danger here that as our as we die and as our children are our children are born a new generation comes along since there's a natural border here there could come a day in which the children of israel on the western side of the jordan could say to these two and a half tribes on the the eastern side of the jordan you have no part with us you no you you shouldn't be we have no part with you there's a natural border here what are you thinking and so reuben and gad and the half tribe of manasseh they said Here's what we'd like to do. We'd like to build a stone of witness. We'd like to build a stone of witness between us so that future generations could come along and say, this is what this stone of witness is all about. Now, by the way, it probably would have been a good idea for Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh to pass along what they were thinking, but they, in their minds, they knew exactly what they were thinking, and they wanted to honor God. In fact, what they were actually doing was they were answering a future problem. They were anticipating a future problem that their children would not be accepted with the other children of Israel, and they wanted to address that and say, no, no, we, we are unified. We are together. The reason we built this imposing altar here is as a stone of witness, and they were emphatic it wasn't to replace the altar wherever the tabernacle is at Shiloh. and Later on, it would be at Jerusalem. He said, it's not to replace that, no. In fact, we weren't even intending to offer offerings on that. It was a stone of witness for all of us. As you can well imagine, it says, as you read on down in verse 30, then when Phinehas the priest and the princes of the congregation and the heads of thousands of Israel, which were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. I would imagine so. Why? There's no, no civil war coming. It actually pleased them. And then when they went back and reported this to everybody else, it says in verse 33, the thing pleased the children of Israel all around. So, when you read Joshua chapter 22, let's go back and just kind of think through some of the issues that were here. Again, were both groups trying to glorify God? The answer, according to the text, is that's exactly what they were trying to do. Both of them were really trying to honor the Lord, and they believed fervently they were really trying to honor the Lord. Well, what did the one group intend to do that almost made the other group go to war? Again, they built that imposing altar, as, as a form of unity, but it was perceived as a wedge of division. According to verse 11, how did the whole mess get started? Here's the answer. They heard somebody say. 
they heard somebody say, or they, they heard it said, or I've heard it said that. And you and I both know today with the advent of the internet, social media, and just normal emails that go back and forth, that's the way it is. This happened just this past week. There was a situation that uh, is, is now we know of no concern whatsoever. But when it first came out, and I alerted the deacons to it immediately, that there was a, a potential problem here in our area about uh, security. And so we, we decided, okay, we got to find out what's going on. I went and I met with someone from another company here in town, and they said, no, 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 no that's not it at all. There were parts of the information that were passed along, but it, the way that it was phrased to us or the way it was put to us, it turned out it was, it was not a significant issue at all. But at the moment, with the information we received, it looked pretty significant. It looked like, hmm, well, we, we better, we're going to have to really pay attention to this. And what it highlights is the importance of really good communication whenever there is any kind of contention or strife or anything else like that going on. All right, how do we get to the bottom of this? What could we walk away with? Let's, let's use the acronym WHAT, W-H-A-T, as we try to take this chapter and kind of boil it down. First of all, the letter W, who said it? Who said it? In verse 11, we don't know who said it. We just know that it was said, or the ubiquitous they said. That's a problem. Because when you and I hear those kind of things, Proverbs tells us the naive believes every word. You and I ought to be asking ourselves, who said it? In, in what context did they say it? And do our best to try to go back to the original source. Then the letter H in spelling the word what? How do they know it to be true? How do they know it to be true? When they heard it said in Israel, how did they know that was true? And the answer is they didn't know it was true. And by the way, it wasn't true. But because everybody was saying it was true, they almost had a war. This is right after they conquered the land. They almost had a war there in Israel. That is more than a little terrifying. How did the people know it to be true? Were they present? Did they carefully think through the disagreements? Were they really willing to listen to all the information? Well, ultimately, praise the Lord, cooler heads prevailed, and they sent this delegation, and they went there, and they didn't really go, <laughs> they didn't really go there to ask questions. They went there, it was almost like, you know, questions that were like accusations. You know, why are you rebelling against the Lord? They're reading their motives. They weren't rebelling against the Lord. In fact, they went on to say, we, we did that in the fear of the Lord. But nevertheless, that's the way it was construed. The letter A in the acronym, what? Letter, letter W, who said it? Letter H, how do they know it to be true? Letter A, ask for more information from those involved. Finally, that's what Phineas and the other 10 chiefs that went, that's what they ultimately did. And when, when they found out <laughs> that the whole thing was completely overblown and, and just, you know, can you just imagine, how do we say this today in English? We say they had egg on their faces. They had to eat crow. You, they, they had several excellent recipes for crow. I mean, what? And, and so 
the scripture just sums it up and says, and it pleased them. I would imagine it did. Why? They're not going to war and they realize, oh, wait a minute. This whole thing's been completely overblown. And, and look, this was built as a stone of witness. These people are actually God-fearing people. And they're, what they're trying to do is send a message to the next generation. And they're trying to convey it that way. And look what has happened. I, as I was reading through this, I thought, Lord, this is really interesting. For what reason did you place this in the word of God? And certainly, I think that one of the things that just jumps out at us is principles of good communication. Then the letter T in the acronym what? Again, W, who said it? H, how do they know it to be true? A, ask for more information from those involved. That's verses 16 through 29. And then the letter T, take time to discuss the matter carefully. And I love this part. They made peaceful commitments to each other. This is down in verse 31. They made peaceful commitments to each other because look in verse 31. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said unto the children of Reuben, children of Gad, the children of Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us. Wouldn't that be a blessing? This day we perceive that the Lord is among us. Here were two groups. They were both trying to honor God, and yet because one group thought the other group was rebelling against God, there's where the problem started, reading all sorts of motives. I love what Phineas says here. He says, this day we perceived, we perceived that the Lord is among us because you have not committed this trespass against the Lord, and now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. Verse 33 and the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God and did not intend to go up to them in battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar by this name, witness. It's a witness. Dear friends, I would point out to you that Calvary Baptist Church has a witness in this community that coming together in unity, as scripture says, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, that with one heart and one voice, we would glorify the Lord, that that really is the issue. And so in the days ahead and whatever trials that we all face ahead, there are certain things we need to remember. As I pointed out in this morning's message, John 8:44, the devil is the father of lies. Bear in mind that when you read the book of Acts, Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, why has Satan provoked you to lie? In other words, these things are out there like wedges and like arrows and like darts to this very day. It's only as we take the shield of faith wherewith we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked that we can come together in unity. But ultimately, to know that the Lord is among us and the Lord gives us unity, that is the real key. If you didn't get a chance to read through Joshua chapter 22 before, we put it in glimpses and encourage you to read it. Let me encourage you to go back and read it now. Let me encourage you to go back and read it this evening or tomorrow to notice how it was possible, how there was a civil war that almost was. And the beauty of what actually happened there was both groups were actually trying to glorify the Lord and to honor the Lord. They came together in glorious unity. And it says, 
the thing that came from the Lord, it pleased the people, and they dwelt together in peace. Shall we bow our heads together? Lord, we praise you and thank you so much for the opportunity this evening to use your word as it is designed to be used in the ministry of reconciliation. We praise you that you can give us a time of unity because we earnestly desire to truly glorify the Lord and to glorify him together. Lord, be glorified then. Help us as a people of God to take to heart these lessons in Joshua chapter 22 and to apply them rightly. You've told us in your word that these things which were written before time were for our hope and help that, that we all may be able to join together in unity and joy that we would be filled with hope from the God of peace who fills us with all joy and peace in believing that we may abound in hope. Help us then, dear Heavenly Father, to truly be unified together and rejoicing in what you will do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.